In his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, Philip Yancey tells about a pastor in France named Pierre. Pastor Pierre. He was born into a noble family. He served the French parliament, but he became disillusioned with the slow pace of political change. After World War II, thousands of homeless beggars lived in the streets. And Pierre grew weary of the endless debates in parliament while street people starved. So eventually he quit parliament and went into the ministry. He became a pastor and he ministered among the street people. He organized the beggars. He divided them into teams to scour the city for discarded bottles and rags. He helped them build a warehouse from uh, old bricks from the war. He started, well, he helped them start a business in which they would sort and processed vast quantities of these used bottles for hotels and businesses. And then finally, Pierre inspired each beggar to look for another beggar who was worse off than himself. Well, this project caught fire and an organization was birthed called Emmaus. Well, after a few years... The ministry became a victim of its own success. They ran out of beggars, really. There were no beggars left in Paris at that time. And that moment was a critical moment in Pierre's mind for the future of the ministry. It worried him. He said, I must find somebody for my beggars to help. If I don't find people worse off than my beggars, then they will turn inward. And they'll become a powerful, rich organization. And the whole spiritual impact will be lost. They'll have no one to serve. Well, 5,000 miles away in India was a leprosy colony. And Pierre met hundreds of leprosy patients, many from the untouchable caste, which meant that they were worse off in every way than his former beggars in France. After meeting these patients and learning about their needs, Pierre returned to France with an idea, a vision, which became a plan. And that plan was to mobilize this ministry of former beggars to build a special hospital wing for those suffering from leprosy. And at the ribbon cutting, the grateful recipients told Pierre and his ministry that their giftedness saved their lives. And Pierre shook his head and said, no, no, it is you who have saved us. You saved our lives. And then he said this, we must serve or we die. Hmm. That'll preach. Hmm. The Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky once said that the secret of human flourishing is not only to live, but to have something to live for. 
And that's what I want us to consider this morning. What are we for as a church community? Why, why are we here? And the better question is, what does God have to say about what we are to be for? What does God have to say about why we exist as a church community? Why are we here in God's mind? And I believe the answer to that question can be found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. We've been in a journey through 1 Corinthians, and the theme of this journey, the theme of 1 Corinthians is united in Christ. And today's verses help us understand what we are to be united for. And so here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that God wants us to be united for King Jesus and for his kingdom. We're to be united for Christ and for others. Our church's business is about being for God and for others. Loving God, loving others. There is a vertical trajectory to our forness, and then there is a horizontal expression of that forness in terms of our relationships with others. For God and for others. And it's that simple. It's really that simple. I don't know what... You think, but I have found it difficult to be disciplined about that which is simple. Because it's so easy to be distracted. Mission drift is so easy. We're to be for God and for others. Loving God, loving others. Uh, the, the people in our community, church family, the people we serve, they're asking questions about us to us in their minds they're asking these questions do you care can you help and can we trust you and and those first two questions are really about us and the answer is that yes our mission prompts us to say we do care and yes, you do matter. Yes, we want to help. We are for God and for his world. That's our business. Now, to empower us on this unified mission, Jesus has endowed his church with many gifts, abilities, and talents. And that's what I want us to see as we read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Follow along with me in your Bibles. The Apostle Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God's Word. Now, as we consider these verses this morning, here's the big idea. This is what Paul's saying. The Holy Spirit of Jesus graciously endows His people with gifts for His glory and for our good. There it is. So we must use our gifts for God and others. That's what I want you to remember. If you forget... Anything else? Don't forget this. Paul's teaching us. God's word is teaching us that we must use the gifts that God has given us for God's glory and for the good of others. For God and others. Now, I want to specifically answer two questions here this morning from verses 1 through 11. Paul continues this discussion on giftedness uh, through the end of chapter 14. But today's teaching concerns verses 1 through 11. And two questions will be answered. The first is, what do you mean by gifts? What does Paul mean by spiritual gifts? Let's define the term spiritual gifts. And then secondly, what are spiritual gifts for? What are they for? Question number one, what are, the, what are spiritual gifts? Let's define the term. Here is a definition for your consideration. Spiritual gifts are graciously given, service-oriented gifts. There it is. Comes from the word charisma. Charisma. Or charis. Charis. The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. And the word charisma or charis, it just simply means gift. Gift, a graciously given gift, a, a grace gift that results in service. So a spiritual gift in this context is a gift or an ability or a function that enables me to serve others in the name of Christ, in the likeness of Christ, and with the love of Christ. Name of Christ, likeness of Christ, and with the love of Christ. In verse 1, Paul says, now concerning, now concerning literally spiritual matters, or rather matters related to the Holy Spirit. So Paul is responding to some of their questions to him about a variety of topics. And in this section of 1 Corinthians, He's responding to their inquiry about spiritual gifts. Because the Corinthians had become divided over the use of these grace gifts. Some of them felt that certain gifts were more important than other gifts. 
Uh, Particularly, we'll learn in chapter 14, the gift of tongue speaking. That is the ability to speak in either human or angelic languages previously unstudied. Some in the Corinthian church were exalting tongue speaking as a badge of spiritual maturity. And this kind of aligns with the Corinthians' tendency just to be competitive against one another. So, for instance, in chapters 1 through 4, they were prioritizing their favorite preacher. I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. I follow Peter. And then they were judging others based on their own preference. That They were just being competitive about it. And that's what's happening here with spiritual gifts. Uh, I speak in tongues. Oh, you don't. Oh, what a pity. Well, see, the Corinthians were comparing themselves with each other. And Paul says, time out. Let's start from the beginning. I don't want you to be uninformed. So Paul's intent is to inform them so that education will lead to transformation. If you know better, you'll do better. And so the heart behind the Holy Spirit graciously endowing God's people with charisma Charis, grace gifts, is so that they will put those gifts in the service of others for the glory of Christ. Write down 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. The apostle Peter aligns with the apostle Paul in teaching about what a spiritual gift is and for. 1 Peter 4, 10 says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 is that when we use our spiritual gifts the way God has intended, then people will not notice the user, rather they will glorify the donor. Yes, that's what 1 Corinthians 14, 25 says. Falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. My preaching professor once taught me, Randy, in good preaching, people don't notice the preacher. That's an important word. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that when we use our gifts the way God wants us to use the gifts, then we, we just kind of fade into the background. Truly the prayer of John the Baptist applies here. He must become greater and I must become lesser. And that's the beauty and the glory and the, the, the graciousness of spiritual gifts. That the user just fades into background and all glory and praise goes to the donor, Jesus Christ. This This benefactor of grace gifts, functions, abilities that enable and empower us to serve others in the name of Christ, in the likeness of Christ, with the love of Christ. Well, that's what a spiritual gift is. Question number two. What are spiritual gifts for? Well... They're for the king and for the kingdom. They're for the glory of Jesus and the good of 
the world, the, the, the church. Therefore, therefore, God's fame and splendor, and they are for the strengthening of people, the vertical trajectory and the horizontal expression of that. In verse 2, Paul reminds the Corinthians that their lifestyle was totally anti-Christ. They were pagans. They worshipped in various temples of Corinth. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. But as Christians, they came to the understanding that instead of going to the temple to meet God, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the heavenly realm, and his sending of the Holy Spirit accomplished for them what they could never accomplish on their own. This gospel announcement radically changed their lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So these pagan Corinthians had been frequent visitors to the various temples in Corinth, but then one day they heard this Jewish rabbi named Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul who declared that God had come in the flesh. The long-awaited Messiah of Israel had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus preached and teached and healed, and he performed miracles and signs and wonders. But then he suffered as a victim of injustice, and he was executed by crucifixion. But God raised this Jesus bodily from the grave. And he is the world's true king. His reign is supreme. He rules over every seat of government today. Rome, London, Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, Jerusalem, Kampala, Tokyo, Santo Domingo, Washington, D.C. When King Jesus stepped from this realm to the heavenly realm, he promised that he would visit again to remake all things into the new heavens and the new earth. So don't you see our salvation? Our salvation is deliverance from the penalty of sin our salvation is deliverance from the power of sin. Our salvation is deliverance from the presence of sin. Christ has saved us. He is saving us. He will save us. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. That means we are being made holy into the likeness of Jesus. And one day... He promises us we will be clothed in glorified bodies in the likeness of our King Jesus. Mm. Until that day, God has given us in Christ his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the coming of glory. And so now, because of Christ, we are his temple. Christians don't go to temple. Christians are the temple. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So when you became a Christian, what happened to you is beyond having your sins forgiven. Of course your sins are forgiven when you become a Christian by grace through faith in Jesus. But it's beyond that. It goes beyond belief in God and beyond reading religious literature like the Bible. It's that and more. God's spirit resides in your life, in our bodies, individually and corporately. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You cannot genuinely declare that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit living in you. It takes the Spirit's presence alive in your life for you to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. But know this, when you declare that Jesus is Lord, you are at one and the same time declaring Caesar is not. Now in Paul's day, you could worship Jesus, but you'd also better show up to the Roman temple. And when Christians gave exclusive allegiance to Jesus, when they refused to pay homage to Caesar in the temple. That's what got them into trouble with Rome. And likewise, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, 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 you can never say Jesus is accursed. And see, that kind of a statement would have been said in the temples in Corinth, those pagan temples. But the Holy Spirit living in a congregation will always say Jesus is Lord and never say Jesus is accursed. And so, so here's the point. Spiritual gifts are for the kings. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are not for mere self-expression. Um, often when we study spiritual gifts, there's a temptation to jump straight to verses 8, 9, and 10 and to make a list of all of the different individual spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul mentions and then then we try to figure out which ones we have and we're so we're tempted to take an inventory so that we can decide which ones we possess so that we can start feeling fulfilled about doing something big for God and 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 church family inventories are fine but you must know that when you exercise a spiritual gift as Christ intended you are making a provocative statement you are saying that Jesus Christ is Lord He is king. He is sovereign. He is my primary identity. My allegiance is to him first and foremost. (laughs) So we're not talking about Windsor Road's got talent. We're making a declaration of war against the principalities and powers of this earth. We're saying that we give allegiance to King Jesus and the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of earth. They are these gifts to fulfill the agenda of the king. And what is that agenda? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to be for the king. And for the good of others, by means of service. And our weapons are these 
are these gifts supplied to us out of the king's armory to strengthen others and expand his kingdom. So, so, so any use of spiritual gifts must amplify the glory and splendor of our royal Christ. And use of gifts reflect the heart of God, the character of God, what God is like is on display through the use of gifts in the church family. And that's Paul's point in verses 4 through 6. Paul says that diversity and unity coexist. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of workings, but the same God. So can you hear the Trinity, Spirit, Lord, and God? Father, Son, and Spirit, can you hear the Trinity in that statement? Both unity and diversity concerning God who works all things and all people. And then we come to verse 7. For the kingdom to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, notice what Paul didn't say. Paul did not say to each is given a spiritual gift. Well, yeah, he did say that, but here's how he said it. He said a manifestation of the Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit's activity and presence and expression is given to each believer. And to what end? For the common good. So Paul wants the Corinthian church to use their gifting for serving The purpose of a spiritual gift delivered to you by the Holy Spirit is for the benefit of others, no matter what the gift is. And in verses 8 through 10, Paul gives a sampling of these gifts. Let's consider them. There's the gift of utterance and knowledge. What is this? One Bible scholar speaks of these terms as the recognition of Christ crucified as God's true wisdom. So, in other words, this word wisdom here in this verse goes back to chapters 1 through 4 when Paul says the foolishness of the cross is wiser than the wisdom of man. So, it's doctrinal discernment, insight into the meaning of wisdom What about the word faith, the gift of faith? Faith is the conviction that God will reveal his power or mercy in a special way. It is the conviction that God will come through. I'm thinking of Psalm 112, verses 7 and 8. This, to me, at least seems to explain the gift of faith. Here it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, verse Psalm 112, 7 and 8. He is not afraid of bad news. That's the person with the gift of faith. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Man, I want that. Hmm? You want to be someone who's not afraid of bad news. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has just poured into your life this gift of faith that, that 
He who began a good work will be faithful in Christ Jesus. He who promised is faithful. He will be faithful to the end. There's healing and works of miracles. Healing of diseases. Healing by means of exorcisms. Paul speaks of the gift of prophecy. This spirit-inspired, intelligible messages to a gathered assembly. Then there's the distinguishing between spirits. That is to say the ability to discern the prophetic words just mentioned here in this gift of prophecy. So in other words, don't believe it just because I say it. Discern it. Weigh it. Does it align with scripture? There's the gift of tongues, the ability to speak a human or angelic language unstudied. There's the interpretation of tongues. That is the ability to interpret the tongues. Other gifts are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, near the end of the chapter. And they're mentioned as functions or roles, such as, such as the gift of apostle, prophet, teacher, administrating. And in that day, it would have meant more like leadership or guidance. You may have more than one gift, but no one believer has every gift. Consider also 1 Corinthians 7, 7, where Paul says that marriage and celibacy are both to be considered gifts as from the Holy Spirit. There are other chapters in the New Testament that speak of spiritual gifts. I'm thinking of Romans 12. I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 4. But we should consider these lists as representative, not exhaustive. And Paul's point is that although there be a diversity of gifts, services, and workings, they originate through the same Holy Spirit. Think about it. Oh, God is so good. God's deliverance for us is not just that our sins are forgiven or that our consciences are clean or that we no longer need to feel guilty over the past mistakes. Our salvation experience means that God wants to use these physical bodies, these bodies that were once opposed to him, these bodies that were once his enemies. God uses this mouth that once just talked dirty. And now he uses this mouth, this mouth, to proclaim the beauty of Christ. Only God can do that, church family. God has taken these bodies and, and some of these bodies were once enslaved to, to legalism and self-righteousness. God uses those bodies. He's delivered us and adopted us into one family. That's why he says, brothers, whatever is said about spiritual gifts needs to be said in the context of family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the generosity that comes with that kind of, of kinship We've come to the feast of Christ. 
And here at this feast, God gives us his gifts. And you get a gift, and some of you have the gift of wisdom, or others have the gift of knowledge, or this gift of faith, or this gift of healing, or this gift of working of miracles and prophecy and discernment of spirits and kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so Paul is saying that some of these gifts are, some of these gifts are word-based and some of these gifts are deed-based, but no one gift is above the other. Rather, verse 11, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we're not to be a homogenous, identically uniformed church family. Diversity coexisting in unity is an essential character trait of our church family because it stems from the character of our triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's three-in-one nature manifests itself as God himself has distributed various grace gifts to a unified people for his glory and for others. Amen? Well, by now, some of you, I hope, are asking the question, well, you know, Pastor, how do I know what my gift is? And, uh, oh my goodness, look at the time. Next week, we'll have to talk about that. (laughs) But I'll tease you until then. Paul does help us in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says, I long to see you. Wow, I've appreciated that phrase this past year. I long to see you. I haven't seen some of you in months. I'm so happy to get to see you in person today. I long, Paul says, I long to see you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In other words, in other words, um, I understand this to mean that. Paul is not wanting to give them a spiritual gift. Paul wants to give himself. Paul wants to use how he is gifted to strengthen them. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So the purpose of a spiritual gift is for others. To strengthen the faith of others. To strengthen the faith of someone individually in the flock or to strengthen the flock as a whole. So with that understanding, let me just propose this question for us this week. Rather than asking, how can I know what my spiritual gift is? That's a good question. Here's a better question. Ask this question. Who needs their faith strengthened today? Who needs their faith strengthened today? Oh God, how do you want me to strengthen someone's faith today? How do you want me to, how can I help? How can I serve? How can, we must serve or we die. I, if, if we if we will pursue that question, 
I really believe that the, the spiritual gift that God has given us will just appear. I, I do. So what if we could be that church community who pursued that question in 2021? What, what if we really thought about how can we strengthen the faith of anybody who comes into the life of this congregation? How can, and how, not just how can, and I'm not talking about just waiting for others to come, but how can we then take that question out into our community tomorrow morning? How can I strengthen someone's faith? You know what? It's not like we have not asked this question. Ah, church family, I mean, I am so encouraged by the Holy Spirit's gifting in and through this congregation. Um, so I end this message with some good news about the Holy Spirit's charisma through us for others. So uh, last week I announced that the special offering received on December the 20th, last week the total was $20,000, a 19-ish $20,000. So I have an updated amount uh, as of Friday, $70,000. God be praised. (laughs) That's amen. Uh, so that, that means $35,000 total will go to our sister church, Berean Covenant Church. And then $35,000 will go to uh, Living Alternatives, a, a pregnancy resource center. I'm telling you. Uh, it, I'm just humbled. Before God... And then before this church family who, who listens to the Holy Spirit and is discerning and pursuing this important question. How can we strengthen the faith of others? Let's ask that question a lot this year. Amen.